Hello everyone and welcome to the second edition of our weekly football show hosted by myself, Ash, and the right reverend, Bobby Love. Bob, how have you been, buddy? How have you been? Has the drilling stopped outside your house yet? <laughs> uh, appears to. Um, for those listeners maybe wondering, I was rudely awakened at 4.30 in the morning on Sunday uh, with what I thought was a robbery going on somewhere in the middle of the street. And it turned out it was some guys taking up chain tracks with huge bright lights, probably brighter than anything I've ever seen flashing in the house. So it rudely woke me up. I was rather grumpy for a few days, uh, but we're all settled down now and they seem to have disappeared. Brilliant. Absolutely good. So <laughs> we'll, get on, we'll get on with the show. <laughs> right, guys, in today's show, we've got our UEFA Champions League slash Europa League review with the British teams that were involved last week. Where did Pep and Man City go wrong? The hashtag Let Fans In campaign. We're going to talk about that and debate some of that as well. Will fans be allowed back in before a vaccine? We've had fans write in with some questions, so we're going to debate that. Also, we've got uh, another subject on the show today. Should you support your local team or should you, sh- should you support the team that your dad told you su- to support as a kid? That's what, that's what we're going to talk about. So, we're going to start with Man City. Again, Bob, big game chokers. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I think really Guardiola's teams tend to have done that since he left Barcelona. Uh, not quite sure what it is. Um, it's, probably, it's, it's probably a number of things. It was a lack of cutting edge. I mean, I watched the highlights there just before we came on and City had a lot of chances. We just quite properly get in front of goal. Um, then maybe Aguero would have sorted out if he'd been playing. Um, but I think teams at times get a bit wise to how Pep is going to play, where it's going to be pass, 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 round, round, round. And if you kind of have a, a good solid defensive structure as, as teams tend to have nowadays, um, you have a tendency to struggle, or his teams have a tendency to struggle. Yeah, totally. And I'm going to touch on that point uh, later on in the in the debate about this. Now, I watched the Man City Leon game closely, and Leon coming into the fixture only had two competitive games, whereas Man City had quite a few with the end of the Premier League season finishing. Leon had two, so Man City should have been sharper, fitter, etc. Garcia was in for Phil Foden. Jesus led the line with Aguero still out. Now, at the start of the game, Man City's movement in the final third was was typical of a Pep side. Um, first 15 minutes, Leon looked slightly competitive. They held the ball well, but there was too much reliance on finding Depay, I, I thought anyway. But Maxwell Cornet was really busy down the left the left hand channel. Then out of nowhere, Leon scored. A bit of a, a bit of a lapse at the back for Man City. Carl Walker fell asleep, which is very Carl Walker esque. If you if you ask me, I've I've never really I've never really rated the guy to be honest. Even for England as well, I've never never thought he was England's best right back. But anyway, apart from my grievances, <laughs> had a bit of a slip. Cornet's got through the goalkeeper. Well, the goalkeeper saved it. It's bounced back out, and Maxwell Cornet with a bend it like Beckham moment has just pinpointed the ball into the back of the net. And Leon took Leon take a shock lead. City chance after 42 minutes. Sterling great work down the byline. Pulls it back to Rodri. Well held. Straight down the keeper. Straight down the pipe. 
There seemed to be no way through the Leon defence in the in the first half for Man City, and this is this is what you were talking about, Bob, about you know teams that are well set out and well structured defensively tend to tend to do well against against Pep's side. So it's one nil one nil to Leon at half time. Second half, Man City started to up the ante a little bit, equalised through Kevin De Bruyne, excellent goal. Sterling's ball across, ball across the box. KDB just guided it past Lopez. And now, Bob, you'd think of all change. You think, well, I thought anyway, the floodgates were just open and City were looking sharper. They had more possession. They were looking fitter. I thought, oh, this, you know, it's going to be two, three, maybe four now. Man City have scored. But again, against the run of play, hit on the counter attack. Man City way too far. Man City's defence way too far up the pitch. Trying to, trying to chase that second goal and gets a run of play. Moussa Dembele beats the offside, beats the offside flag and the VAR uh, off the ball foul and slots it in to make it 2-1. 85th minute, I thought it's going to be 2-2, but no. Ball across the box, Raheem Sterling. The goal at his mercy, skies it over the bar from four or five yards out. It's probably one. It's probably one of the worst misses I've seen in a long, long time. Leon go up the other end and score again. A couple of minutes later, the exact same thing on the break. Counter attack. City fell asleep, and Moussa Dembele gets his second of the game. Now, what is it, Bob, with with Pep's teams in the fight? It, look, it's all well and good having possession for eighty percent of the game. But if you, if you can't finish like that in, in, in a Champions League quarterfinal, come on. I mean, his strategy was wrong, in my opinion. A lot of people are saying this as well. He played, the, a lot of people are saying he played the wrong formation. He started with five at the back. And it's, you know, I don't like this ticky-tacky style of football, Bob. Um, it's, not, it's not for me, the direct football one on the day. Um, what do you think about that? I, I mean, I, I, I'm not into this whole ticky tacker thing. I, I, I like direct. I like wing play, and and Leon won the game when when they really really shouldn't have. Um, and it a lot. I thought I, I'm not massively averse to ticky tacker, especially or certain brands of what we call ticky tacker. I think the problem lies is when you start playing, you start almost overplaying, especially if things are not going your way. And if you say you can play it between. Well, obviously Liverpool went out earlier, but City to Liverpool. Liverpool at times are a lot more direct. Um, they tend to get up the pitch a little bit quicker. They don't tend to pass it around just as often. And if things aren't going their way, they'll try something different. Whereas Pep very much stick to the game plan. If it doesn't work, stick to the game plan. If it doesn't work, stick to the game plan. And at times it almost he almost misses a plan B and how to break down teams when you're really struggling, or if you're all in their case, as it was the other day, they'd be profligate in front of the goal. So you probably need some kind of alternative system when things aren't going, and that would probably suit them a lot better. And I mean, these are arguments that he's had since he was at Barcelona as well, so there's nothing really new that we're revealing here, but an alternative plan would maybe just suit them a little bit better. But he needs to get out that mindset that his way is the right way, and it's always the right way. Well, yeah, I mean, I think Pep's been found out now. I, he, he's always had lots of money where he's gone. 
is is, is he a world class coach? Is he a world class manager? You know, um, put, him, put put him at Rochdale. What would he do? Do, do you know what I mean? It, it's it's very easy to implement strategies when you've got elite players at your disposal, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. You know, um, he's even got elite players on his bench, and it, 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 you know, and he's under twenty threes. He's he's had that everywhere he's gone, but he's um, still I, getting found out by teams that shouldn't. Leo, look, look, Bob, man. Leon should never have beaten Man City the other night. Leon had no right beating Man City the other night. They had two competitive games coming into that game. That's it. They played in a French Cup final. And I don't know what they played in another game as well, but I can't remember which one. I think well, it was a it was a European Cup game, wasn't it? It's was a Champions League game. So look, he's been found out again. Man City yet again found out in Europe. It's not their year. I, I, I thought it was. Do you know, the, the last round when they, when they beat Real Madrid, I thought, do you know what? This, this is going to be it. I think Man City are good enough this year. Absolutely not. And, and looking forward in that competition, as we're recording now, we've got uh, Rassen Ballsport Leipzig against Paris Saint-Germain, which I think PSG will squeeze through like they did against Atalanta. The juggernaut that are Bayern Munich, uh, I, I think, are going to roll Leon over. I think they're too good. And now I, I'm, I, I think it's going to be a Bayern Munich win. What do you think about that, Bob? I think Bayern Munich are, are too strong. Um, I would tend to agree with that. From certainly what I've seen from Bayern, even just watching the Bundesliga games this year, um, they're certainly a cut above every other team I've watched, I think. Um, yeah. I think there's Lewandowski this year, where was it, 50-odd goals? Yeah. I think if he'd been in any other country, he would have been given far more bigger plaudits than he currently is. Um, they're, they're, they're strong, they're strong everywhere. Um, it's going to be pretty difficult to see anybody really beating them. Yeah, but then again, totally over, 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 over one leg games, knockout ties, it's slightly different. But you never know. You never know. But I think Bayern are certainly looking the strongest at all. We're going to talk about another team, British team in Europe now. Um, I wouldn't call them. I wouldn't call them European chokers because the European Cup history says it all, and Europa League as well. Man United have won. And the Cup Winners' Cup. So, your your English team, ball, Man United. Oh, one now, of them. Yeah, I mean, I watched, I caught, I caught the back end of the game against Sevilla. Chance after chance after chance. It's going to be some heroic defending by Sevilla, by the way. Bodies on the line and stuff like that. Again, Sevilla had no right winning that game. But they, they, they come away with it. And, you know, of, of, of British teams not got that determination and grit that they should have at that stage. You know, they don't, it seems like Man United and Man City don't know how to win key ties in Europe anymore. Um, uh, possibly, possibly. I think Man United's problem is probably the defence and the two in the middle of that defence in particular. Well, I don't think Brandon Williams well, covered himself in glory, but he's still quite young. But, you know, uh, they were cut out at the goal at the winner. They were profligate, much like Man City, in front of the goal as well. I mean, Ollie had run that, those front four or five really into the ground since the restart um, with a ridiculous number of minutes. Needed to get a goal, needed to change it. Didn't bother bringing a sub, didn't bring a gallo on or anything like that, anything to try and change it. 
persisted again, much like Pep did with too much. Probably keep trying to keep the same system or at least with the same players. It didn't work. Changed it too late. And then by then, the defence, as I so often have, I think at times this season, just switch off just at the wrong time. Switched off at the wrong time and there's a goal. Yeah, um, I totally agree. I think, I think United desperately, desperately need a new centre-back at least, at the very least, next season. I, I don't know which one that will be. I don't know, I don't know who will fit the bill. But... I think they're going to start to need to build from the back. They've got they've got Fernandez. Their front three are explosive: Greenwood, Martial, and Rashford. That's a that's a front three that can the way they're playing, and the, the way they played at the back end last season. They, that's a front three that could possibly win you, you know win the league. Man United just need that defence. Is Ole being found out like Pep has? <laughs> found out. Well, I don't. To be honest, I don't think anybody's ever rated Ole Solskjaer anyway. So. It's really hard to tell. I, th- I think, I mean, there's no denying that the, the, back from the restart, there was lots of good stuff played. There was lots of positives. Um, he's certainly starting to, it looks like he's certainly starting to build a better side than has been in previous years. But we just have to see how it carries on into next season. I mean, you'll obviously, everybody's not convinced by him. Probably you'll never get the benefit of the doubt, even if he had won this. So I think we just have to give it another few months and see how it goes and see how yeah. it, see what signings can be added and if that makes a difference. But I think the defence at the minute is a, is a real concern and it should be to them as well because the rest of the team, with the odd addition here, they looks pretty fine, they looks pretty settled and it looks like ones that will win your games. Yeah, I totally agree. Bob, we're going to have a little Scottish roundup. Um, <laughs> a... <laughs> A, a subject I, f- I forgot to add in at the start about the topics we're going to discuss. Sorry, Scottish football fans. Me, the arrogant English man again, isn't it? Strikes again. Second time in a row now. <laughs> anyway, Scottish football from the weekend. Rangers being held to a draw at Livingston. Celtic not playing because of uh, irresponsibility from one of their players. Hibs drawing at home to Motherwell. Bit of a Bit of a controversy, that one, but... Well, I thought it was a controversy. I thought I thought Motherwell's goal should have stood. Watched sports scene on Sunday night, and then I, I didn't realise that their striker was completely blocking the keeper's view. So, you know, nil-nil draw there. Samiran winning away at Hamilton. Dundee United again. You know, doing well. Ross County are up there. Bob, it, it, it's a. It, it looks like it's a better league this year. It's a, it seems all the teams are a bit more competitive. Uh, quite possibly um, it may just have to be because a lot of them still have games in hand I think somebody I've seen today that Aberdeen have got three games in hand already because of the, the ridiculousness with their Covid situation Yeah. Um, I think you really need to give it before we start saying everything looks a bit stronger everything looks a bit better give it a few games usually give it a, like, at least two months to decide how that's going to pan out um, obviously Hibs look a lot better than they did last year well, it probably would be too difficult. Um, made some shoot additions, I think, Gogic and Nisbet. Um, their defence again, Bob. It's their defence again. Well, this, you know, I'm a, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Ryan Porteous, uh, so any blame will be given to the other one. Um, well, Paul well Hannon, Porteous is giving away penalties, <laughs> getting himself booked. Is I think he's a bit of a liability for him. Um, I think they're better with him than without him, though. 
I don't know. To be honest, we'll agree to disagree. Remember, he's still young. I think everybody forgets just how young he is because we had him at Edinburgh City. So, like when he was just turning seventeen, you know, it can still yeah. be kind of some of that can still be coached out of that, but you don't want to coach too much out of it because as soon as you start coaching too much aggression out of players, I start losing a wee bit of what actually makes them good. Um, so we'll just have to see with Porto. I think. Well, I'm, I'm still, I'm still very much on the on the Porto train, uh, and we'll just see how that one goes. Celtic tonight. Bob at home to KR Reykjavik in the Champions League qualification. Yes. Don't know what the score is at the moment because the game, I think the game kicked off at quarter to eight. So um, that's being played as we speak. Easy one from Bob. Should should get through him. Remember, it's not two-legged. So... Um, there's, there's never, regardless of what anybody tells you, there's never an easy game in Europe. Um, teams and big-name teams lose to what we call relative minnows. Um, as Rangers think to their cost a couple of times over the years, uh, you would think Celtic, you think Celtic could win this game, but again, over again over one leg, cup tie situation, you never know. Uh, I believe it was one nothing before just before we came on here, so we'll see how that one goes. But I would expect Celtic to be winning that. Yeah, so do I. Um, another game that another British team that we're gonna gonna cover here is Linfield away at Legia Warsaw at half time. I don't know what the score is now again because we're recording. But it was nil nil. Now that that's impressive for for little old Linfield, isn't it? <laughs> little Linfield, um, yes. Um, Leg have done pretty well over the last couple of years. So Linfield keeping them to, to a draw at half times certainly bodes well. I know watching them in Europe last year, I think it was it played very well. Um, so again, it's just a case of just some of these teams got to keep themselves tight. Try and hit the counter. One leg, can, uh, one goal can win it in a cup tie, one leg situation, can't it? Yeah, definitely. And with fans not being allowed in, I don't know. I I, I saw in in Poland they were they were letting some fans in 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 some some divisions. I don't know if it was the top one. Um, the other week, so I'm on this Facebook page of football stadium and grounds, and, and a ground hopper had gone to Poland and he'd seen a game there and there was fans all sat next to each other. Now, I don't know if there's fans in the in the game site. I don't know if, if UEFA are allowing it yet for certain countries. If there isn't, this could play right into Linfield's hands because, you know, you go, you go to a place like Poland, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter who you are, them fans are right on your back from the before the game, hours before kickoff. They're screaming outside your hotel. The team coach pulls in, there's flares being lit and, you know, it, it's a it's a cauldron. So Linfield might have a bit of confidence knowing that, you know, there's they can't hear nothing in the stadium. There's nothing, you know, there's no pelters being thrown at, thrown their way, so to speak. Talking about fans, Bob. Now there's a a big thing going on in Britain, especially down in in non-league football in England at the minute, with the hashtag Let Fans In campaign, mm-hmm. which is basically what well, the argument is is there's teams like, for example. South Park, there's a team called South Park in the in the Bostick League or something like that. And they they wrote on Twitter that they've got a ground capacity of three thousand and an av- they had an average crowds of hundred last season, which means there's plenty of room for social distancing, especially in pre-season friendlies when you what you get about 40 turn up and they're still not allowed to gain any income through their bar, through their social facilities, um, through through match day revenue, through programs, etc. etc. Now 
in in my opinion, I, I think it's ridiculous that fans at that level are not allowed in. I, I want to know what you think about this, Bob. I, I know that you're you're pro safety with all this, and and you know, and but I just want to know what what you think. Um, it, it's quite a difficult situation to be in because I agree. You're obviously you've got to be outside. Transmission apparently is lower outside. Um, you can social distance on a lot of these grounds um, probably easier than you would be able to in, say, a Premier League or a Championship ground. Because obviously, as I was reading the Athletic today, the, part of the problem with the, the restart for fans in the, the higher leagues is to do like concourses and pie stands and all that. And is there enough width to social distance? Is there enough places to social distance? Now, you would expect there to be some non-league grounds or lower league grounds especially in Scotland anyway, where that shouldn't be an issue. But what the issue then becomes is then if you're using a bar that's attached to the ground, is everybody going to social distance in the bar? How many people are going to turn up to a game together? Are they all for the same people or are they not? So you could be transmitting that to your friends and not realising. There's a queues for your pie stands and whatever else. Is everybody going to maintain a metre or two metre distance? Toilet and other facilities, is there going to be someone there to make sure they're clean? Going to be somebody to make sure that you're washing your hands on the way out? Because I think, as we all know, football fans aren't yeah. exactly for their hygiene. Nah, uh, no, you know, I mean, fans, you, you can have people standing outside grounds. We saw that in Scotland already for some Premier League, uh, Premiership games. There's, there's fans in bunches standing outside. No, it's, it, it's not just a case. I've got every sympathy with them, and I tend to think they probably should be allowed in because it's going to be easy at the social distance. But it's not just a simple case of, we only get 300 fans, let us back in the ground. There's other kind of consequences that they need to think through as well to make sure that this is the right thing to do. Even just things like, who's going to manage if you wear a face covering? Say the government decide, whether that be Scottish government, UK government, you have to wear a face, a face covering is mandatory when you go into a football ground. Who's going to enforce that? Well, common sense should prevail. This is this is my opinion on this. Common sense should prevail. Now, the club will advertise. Say they advertise a game. Say a non-league club in England playing another non-league club in a friendly. Be like, right, certain amount of people are allowed in the bar. There's someone, a member of staff there, or a club committee member that stands there with one of those little clicky things, or even a tally sheet. Say, oh. We're only allowing a capacity of 200 in today and only 40 are allowed in our bar socially distant. So once a 40th person enters a bar, you tell people that try to come in. No, sorry, we're full. As for toilets, again, the committee members can get involved and use a bit of common sense. What else are they going to do? They, you know, So that one can stand outside the toilet. I know it's not, not the most pleasant job in the world, but you know, it can be like, right, two in, two out, two in, two out. You, you know, If you're dying for a piss, you just got to hold it in, mate. You know, it's just, It's just how things are at the minute. I think I think common sense and a bit of a bit of savvy could come into play, and 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 things could work. Pie stand again, easy. Get some get some duct tape, yeah. Cut strips out the duct tape, and put stick it down two or three meters apart, the little strips, so people know, people can see, because people people don't use their, their their own initiative sometimes. Right? And they think, oh, we need to group together. So if there is that on the floor, they might think, oh, yeah, all right, okay. So they're being serious here. There are they are implementing the social distancing measures, and they'll they'll more than likely go, 
right, okay, let's 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 stand apart from the person in front of us. Let's stand a bit further back. It's it's little things that they can do that can make this work. It's not it's not that difficult. It really isn't, in my opinion. Those little things aren't particularly difficult, but if there was such a thing as common sense, then everybody would be using the same kind of sense. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> right. Any, anybody, yeah. anybody taking any kind of sociology class or anything like that will tell you there's no really such a thing as common sense because there's no such thing as everything being common. What one person sense is one is another person's. Now it's all very well saying put like your two meters with gaffer tape or something on the ground, but what happens if that gets kicked up? Or I don't know about you, when I've been to the supermarket. They've all they've all laid out their two meters, and there's people that still break it. Yeah, I mean you're gonna get that. You're gonna get the odd one or two, but I mean, especially in non-league, you know, the fans are fans are a lot more, I'd say, obedient and respectful for the game. They, you know, they're more for the love of the game than you know going out on a day's piss up with their mates. To be honest, they're, they're more about the football. They're more about the grounds and stuff like that. And I, I personally think that they, they would use their, their own initiative and I'm confident that they would. I believe in people. I believe in football clubs as well. You know, it's, it's not difficult. And cl- clubs just need to implement some sort of strategy going forward where they can have people, people socially distance in their grounds. It's, then they can get fans back in quicker. As simple as that. Now... We've had some opinions from from uh, our loyal supporters, I should say, <laughs> on this podcast. Anthony Harold from Hatbridge in London says, ridiculous how 300 fans are allowed inside a snooker hall, but 300 people aren't allowed to go and watch the team I support. Brackets, Tootin and Mitchum, despite the virus spreading more inside than outside. Now, Bob, I know you're a snooker fan. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? What do you think about that? Right. Um I tend to agree, um, also because I believe if they're going to open up things like this, they can allow bigger theatres, which bring in more people over the course and add more value to the economy than Premier League football teams do, would you believe? Um, mm-hmm. If they're if they going to allow small ones, you should be allowed small ones in everywhere. Now, I'd thought about going. They put a small number of tickets up for sale when they said fans would be allowed back. I looked into it. Um, and this was before there was like a big massive uh, upsurge again and uh, and infections and hotspots and places like Yorkshire and Lancashire and whatnot. Um, everything was laid out in such a way where you would never really come across anybody and there'd be nobody sitting in front of you. Um, you had to almost walk in and out single file. Everybody yeah. had to wear a face mask. Um, you weren't allowed to mingle outside. I think it was temperature checks and all this kind of thing going on as well. You know, the regime looked pretty, pretty tight. Um, that regime, I don't think, would necessarily be replicated in football, especially at lower league grounds. But people so, are outside. There are, but it's not just that. It's the things about how you're going to act and how you're going to be inside as well. You're not going to be sitting, you're not going to be sitting in a snooker, watching the snooker, jumping up and down and shouting abuse at a referee. But we're in pre-season. Dick, Look, I, think I think you know and I know. The atmosphere's at pre-season, <laughs> is it? It doesn't Come make on. a difference if it's pre-season or not. Well, you know and I know there's always going to be somebody who makes an absolute fool of themselves 
and then ends up spoiling it for everybody else. Right, as I say, I'm not averse to fans coming in. I'm not averse to my own team is suffering, will be suffering until October because we're not like fans in at all. Um, and, and at our ground at Edinburgh City, we can easily social distance. But I just don't think it, at times it can be comparable by saying, oh, well, they're getting in, so we should as well. And they, they're not doing this, but we can do that and all that. Sometimes these arguments are quite vacuous. Right, it's just because one's doing it doesn't make you say you can do it. Bob, teams are going to go under the bus. People. I know it frustrates people, but sometimes you need to think of the wider. There's a wider kind of thing going on here, and it's not just that people are being like you can't go and see your football team. Now, there's probably an argument that those higher up the chain should have more help, should give more help to those lower down. Of and course. they should have more help from the likes of the SFA and the FA and all that kind of stuff. But you know and I know that these people aren't interested. And that's part of where your problem lies. It's not because fans should get in or they shouldn't get in or teams might go under or whatever else. It's because the, the, the economics of football are, it's too geared up to protect those higher up. And I get that. They're bringing a lot of money, like TV deals, revenue, sponsorship, and the majority of people go and see them. But that's why everybody else gets forgot. And it's a difficult situation to try and balance up everybody's interests all at the same well, yeah. I know. We, we, we can... Look, we, we've, been, we've been talking about this for years, football fans. The Football Sports Federation has as well, how the money doesn't seem to be drip-fed drip fed down to teams in the non-leagues, um, especially from, like, step, step six downwards and, and stuff like that. The government do nothing to help non-league football and grassroots football in, in Britain. But these, Bob, look, and I, I appreciate your argument. I can totally see where you're coming from, mate. But the teams are going to go under the bus here. That they are things that. So, right, okay, then. I'll put that if it's a friendly. Let's they, put people, this they, need, they need people in. They they need right. gate revenue. They need bar revenue. They need burger revenue, program right, revenue. Let's put that in a different. Put the shoe on the other foot, then. You open that up, people start getting infected. What's going to happen in the club? Well, there's two sides to that. Surely, if they if they did the right protocols and use again it comes down to initiative, uh-huh. then they would significantly lesser the chance of anyone getting infected. As I said, with the social distancing and the letting certain amount of people in the bar, and you know maybe maybe not even producing a program doing an online program or something like that, just an, or an online team sheet or something like that. Do you know, do you know what I mean? There's, there's loads of things they can do. They could have a committee member going round and say, like, if people are too close, like, look, lads, look, come on, like, move apart, please, you know, or, or we're going to have to change things here and, you know, we're giving you this, we're giving you the chance to be responsible. And But, well, fans need, they need to be in. It doesn't matter if it's pre-season. We, we, can, we can argue about this all night. We can't, and I, I agree with those points. But the things that you just said that football could do, they did at the Crucible, and people are complaining about it. Well, yeah. So it should be, we're not allowed in, so they shouldn't have been allowed in. So we've tried it. Remember, it's a test event. It wasn't allowed for the majority of the two weeks of the Worlds. Yeah. And one day, they cancelled it immediately because there was an uptick. They let them back in as a test event to see how it would go to make sure extra protocols even were put in place. Now... I understand well, protocols you can do at non-league level and all that. I get that. I can see it even at League 2 football up here. 
the concern is having people making sure they stick to that. It's easier to do when you've got certain types of events. I think it's going to be easier to do at the snooker than it would at football. Um, I'm not always convinced that people follow protocols at football as they should. But the snooker's backed by a multi-million pound company. These, these, these clubs aren't. I'm not really sure that makes a difference. But yeah, it does. It's a, te- it's a test event. It's no one, a test if there's event. no one inside, if there's no one inside a snooker venue, right? They're still going to get the money from all the sponsorship anyway from the TV deal. If there's nobody at two in a Mitchum versus I don't know, um, Carlos Haywards Heath, there's nobody oh. at that game. Two and a loser, and, and both teams are losing money. Look, you know they've not got that 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 financial backup. They've not got that. They've not got that safety net or that curtain. But it's then who's false out? It's a huge difference. But then who's false out? The government. Correct. The FA. Correct. Yeah. I'm not saying it's Snooker's fault, but it's it's two completely different things. Brian May in Musselburgh uh, in Scotland says very similar to what Anthony said. I looked up to the looked I looked up the crucible. It has just under a thousand seats. They allowed roughly thirty percent occupancy for the snooker, yet they're talking about football grounds being limited to twelve and a half percent capacity. Doesn't make any sense. Higher occupancy allowed for an indoor venue. Exclamation mark. Sums it up. Well, I can. Guy... Listen, though, on that, on that note, though, it's like I says, it's, although it's indoor, you're less likely to be, to be spreading particles because you're not going to be talking or shouting. Yeah. And you're going to be sitting wearing a face mask, more than likely indoors as well. You're not getting that at the football. You're not always guaranteed to be kept all that time apart all those space apart, and that's where the difference lies. I get it, I agree with you for the most part, but there's other aspects that people are tending to forget because they're too passionate about football and don't see the bigger picture of the public health aspect. Possibly me. Yeah, it is me. Okay, I hold my hands up, people. That's me. All right? But I can see, as I said, I can see both sides of the argument. I've also got mine. Bob, will fans be allowed back in before a vaccine? Now, Hassan Ali from Cheshire via Burnley Woods, I must add, as as written in, he's got he's got three questions here. It's a strange scenario. How will fans be picked to go back to games? Second question: What happens if you drive four hours to a game, have a temperature test, and fail? Or what happens to season ticket holders? Do they get refunded if picked to attend a match? Now, it's a strange scenario. How will fans be picked to go back to games? What right. fact? What, what they do? A lottery situation with amongst season ticket holders or? Um, it really depends on the size of your club and how many team holders you've got, I guess. Yeah. And depending on how many you're allowed in. Now, um, for somebody in my club, Ember City size, it'll just be season ticket holders only, which would make it nice and easy. If you're a team like Celtic with 50 odd thousand, um, the murmurings that I've seen in places like the Athletic and whatnot is that you're going to attend, be allowed to attend every other game or every third game, or something like that. Um, how they work that in terms of the third question, where refunds is really up to clubs. Um, they're probably not wanting to hand back money, which is one of the reasons why I always thought putting season tickets on sale at this, mo- at this point in time for some clubs yeah. is going to be difficult because they then have to refund money. Um, and obviously, sometimes you might spend that money before you get there. Um, so... so you're going to get picked. It's likely if you're, depending on what level you're at, it's going to be season ticket holders only. When you start getting above that, 
that will start being certain amounts of seasons like holders and you may have to go every other week. It may not be ideal for everybody, but I think you're just going to have to live with it. And it's either that or you get nothing at all. Yeah. No, I can agree. I can, I can see your point. And, but, but what happens if you drive four hours to a game and have a temperature test? Obviously, you're not going to get temperature tested at, at a non-league round, so you probably won't afford, your, afford the kit. But you go to somewhere like Burnley or, or Bournemouth or, or Sheffield United or Man United and have a temperature test and, and you fail the temperature test, even though you, you, you feel like you've had no symptoms when you come out and you know, you, you're one of those lucky people that have been drawn to, to, to be able to go to the game, one of those lucky season ticket holders. What happens then? Well, I suppose you don't really need to ask the question, why are you driving four hours to go watch a football match? And this is what we're going to move on to, folks. Now, should you support your local team? Now, look, I've got a little story here. I'm going to mumble on a bit. Now, I was born in Lambeth, South London. So I had a a lottery of, of teams I could go and watch. My my uncle took me to a, a team in West London when I was when I was four. A team I, well, I mentioned about going in the in the previous episode. Now, obviously, I was a little bit of a turncoat as a kid, but I I, I moved around when I when I got to that sort of teenage years and stuff like that and. Start going with mates to different games from school. If there's a mate on at Seller, like, sorry, not a mate on. If there's a game on at Sellers Park and like they're, they're Palace fans, I'd go and watch Palace. If Wimbledon were at home, I'd go and watch Wimbledon. If you know, I, I went a couple of times to watch Brentford. I went a couple of times to watch Fulham. Do you know that? Because they're all local teams and they really have, have, have support like sort of one team. Do you know what I mean? And but then I, I I moved out of London when I was when I was a teenager and moved to the West Country. And, and and lapsed onto a team down there. About as a chef, I've moved all around the UK, and I've always gone to watch the local team. I've never gone and said, "Right, do you know what? I'm going to stick Sky Sports on today, and I'm just going to watch Man United v Liverpool." Screw the team down the road. That's only charging what fifteen pounds for a ticket, or if it's a non-league club, five or six quid. Sorry, there's there's a Premier Premier League game. I've always I've always backed the local team wherever I've been. Even moving to Scotland as well, it was an Edinburgh club. There was no question about it. It wasn't, you know, there was there was there was absolutely no question. As soon as I landed in Edinburgh, it was it was an Edinburgh team. But the the question is, do you have to do that? Now, if you're born in Manchester, do you have to support one of the Manchester clubs? Can you support Newcastle? Can you support Wolves? Can you support Millwall? Don't know why a man would support. Ooh, but, but I'm just I'm just saying it as an example, Bob. What, what, what's your what's your theory on this? I mean, do you support? Do you have to support or your dad support? That's a, that's a big argument as well. A lot of people say, "Oh, you got to support your dad supports." If your dad tells you to support Aberdeen, you've got to support Aberdeen. But what if what if you feel a bit forced to support them, and you think, "Actually, you know what? That's not me. I don't I don't really like them. I don't really like the color of the kit." Or that's not picking on you, Aberdeen fans, by the way. Um, I don't mind red kits, really. But someone else might not. And they might say, do you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support Celtic or I'm going to support Hearts or, or, or Liverpool or something like that. Is that OK, Bob? It's not not OK, that makes sense. <laughs> um, as someone who supports or has supported local teams, 
um, to find people without, with especially with no family connection, uh, disappearing their droves to other teams around the country, I find a bit weird. Um, now, obviously, I'm probably a bit different, and I've got various teams that support around the world, and I've been to yeah. some of their games as well. But my number one team is Edinburgh City. You know, it's not Man United, Ipswich, or Valencia or anything like that. My number one team yeah. is Edinburgh City. I'm not going to be foregoing an Edinburgh City game to sit and watch anybody else on the television. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, would, I would much prefer if people supported the local team. Some people might not know about the local team. Some people yeah. may not be able to afford the local team. And so on and so forth. Uh, so it's not. I don't think it's a. It's a very simple black or white question for a lot of people. And even now, as we spoke about in the last football show, not everybody wants to support a team. They want to support a player. Um. So yeah, and that, that's weird for a lot of older football fans. And by I mean, in, in this case, probably twenty five and above, maybe thirty and above. Um. So for a lot of teams, a lot of people like that, even just support the team to them is absolutely like an alien concept. Never mind support well, the local team. Well, I, I lived in a place. I, I'll give an example of a place. Um, and yes, I yes I am picking on this town, by the way. Um, so people from here, if you're going to give me some hate in the comments and, and tweet me, absolutely fine. I don't mind because I, I need to. I need to. I need to get it off my chest. Bridgewater. I lived in a place called Bridge when I was working down there. I lived in a place called Bridgewater in Somerset. Now there's a t- there's a team there, Bridgewater Town. That's a local team. Up the road, you've got Western Supermare. Or if you want to venture out just a tiny little bit, you've got Yeovil Town, which is what a twenty-minute drive, or you've got the Bristol clubs. You've got City or Rovers just up the road um, from there. So, you know, and you go into a pub in Bridgewater, and and people will back me up saying this as well. They are all support Man United or Liverpool. Now they've never been to a game. Most of them they've got. They've, They've got each pub. The funny thing is, each pub's got their own Man United or Liverpool supporters club, right? Each pub's got their own Man United, but they don't actually go to any of the games, right? And I've been in the pub in in, in Bridgewater when a when a Liverpool game's on, and they're they're, they're singing "You'll Never Walk Alone" in it, putting on a Scouse accent as well. It was absolutely hilarious, and, you know. And I, I used to say to people, I made quite a few friends down there. Um, if, if the friends are exactly the ones I'm talking about. <laughs> So um, I, I, I went and watched a few Bridgewater Town games when I'm there. You know, give your money to the local club, as I do. And I say, look, look, a couple of, well, one or two of them went with me eventually. But most of them were like, oh, I'm not watching them. They're, they're rubbish. They're rubbish. But I said to them, look, I said, if you give them your money, okay, instead of spending 30 quid in the pub to watch Liverpool, if you spend eight pounds to watch Bridgewater and a couple of pints in the bar, more of you did that in the town then they'll get a bigger budget. They'll have a bigger playing budget because you've put more income into the club. It's simple economics, okay? Right? They just did not grasp it whatsoever. Well, I used to say, well, what about Yeovil? Oh, rubbish. Oh, rubbish. Rubbish this and rubbish that. Oh, no. It's, it's, it's not Man United or Liverpool, is it? They'll never be in the Premier League. And I, 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 do you know what I thought? I just give up. I give up. What hope have, 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 have we got if, if people won't even give their local team, a chart. I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate for non-league football, okay? And and I back the game up to the hills. And it really, really annoys me when 
people don't even are that ignorant and that arrogant that they don't even want to even watch them play once, not even give them a chance, not even read their results in the newspaper. They just did not care, Bob. Now, there's something wrong there, isn't there? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> Short and to the point with that answer, I, 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 I don't... I always find difficulties with these kind of questions because it's human nature to be attracted, especially the way the world is set up at the minute, it's human nature uh-huh. to be attracted to success, right? Mm-hmm. And the more teams, that, if teams show more success, they tend to have more people looking at them. Yeah. Right? Now, that doesn't mean to say you shouldn't go and follow your local team, but you might just be oblivious to that fact for a lot of these guys because they're not very good or they're only playing at a certain standard of football and all this kind of stuff. So it can be a difficult question for many. I would prefer, even if some of these people went a few times a year, I mean, look how long it took me to go to Ember City Games, for example. It took a few months to cajole them before I decided to go because uh-huh. it's not. I don't think it's just down to the success of football teams. I think it's because, like I said the last time, there's quite an inbuilt snobbery about the quality of football or the perceived quality of football lower down the pyramids. And you don't actually know until you go that a lot of this football is actually very good or can be very good. Now, sure, you're not going to be doing these beautiful bowling green pitches or anything like that, but you're still going to get a standard level of football that's quite good to watch. Now, this is, this, is what I, this is what I don't get. Now, okay, it's all well and good watching these top teams on telly. Yes, it's entertaining. Yes, it's pleasing on the eye. Yes, it's, it, it's, a, you know, it's good to watch in the poll. It's good, it's good to go. It's, it's good to go. You don't have to watch in the poll. You get by a, by a ticket, right? Um, now, why wouldn't people... Say, say we're going to use Bridgewater Town as an example again. Um, why wouldn't the locals want to be put money into their local club and be part of a journey, a journey from a rags to riches story, you know, help them financially get up the league. So they have a higher playing budget, you know, and I don't know how high, how far they could go. It's it's, it's a population, what is a population, what 40,000, 50,000 people in that town. So, but there's only a population of 70,000 in Burnley. Do do, do you see what I'm saying, Bob? You've got to be on that journey. You've got to want to be on that journey. That's your local team. How it's it's fun. It is. It is. The pride in it. Pride in that. Trying to get that through to people, it can be quite difficult. But I I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, how far could they go? You know, there's only so far uh, goodwill and fans turning up in your locality is going to get you these days. You need an injection of cash from somewhere. And if you're not, and it's unlikely to come, then it can be quite difficult to move up. Whether we agree with that model of football or otherwise, and especially what people think about what money's done to the game and things like that. So I can see it's difficult. And I suppose to even stretch this argument even further, I mean, how local is local? The nearest team to where you live? Well... So for me, that would have been Medibank. Which then Edinburgh into, No, it started off as Medibank Thistle. Who then yeah, but they moved to Livingston. Livingston. They moved to Livingston. That's fine. Then they became Ember City. But then yeah. there's an example. The next closest team to me from that is Hibs. And has been for a long time. But all my family 
uh, on my mum's side were Hearts fans because that was the area they grew up in. But by right, local team, team. Aren't they? What's that? Yeah. Hibs, Hibs, Hibs would be your local team. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't support them. Yeah. I mean, but, but, but Edinburgh City played at Meadowbank as well. So, so that's... But, but I, that I, took, I've not, well, I've not got saying, a grievance with people like you, Bob. Well, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is <laughs> they were, they, were they, they only became a local team after so many years. It was late after Meadowbank had left and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't know they existed until my friend had asked me to go. So you can see but the you still went. I still went eventually, yeah. You still went, but, so it's but, fine. But there's going to be lots of people in my position who are just going to go, why would I? Especially if they support another team in the city or the town or somewhere close by. It's not just right. necessarily a big case of everybody supports Manchester United and Liverpool or Man City and all these kind of teams. You know, I mean, there's going to be people in Musselburgh. I mean, you're, you're quite friendly people at Musselburgh Athletic. I am indeed. There's going to be lots of people in Musselburgh who support Hearts and Hibs. Of course. But they'll not go to a Musselburgh Athletic game. Yeah. About, and they should. In essence, in Edinburgh, and that goes back to the argument, how local is local. Musselburgh and Edinburgh have essentially joined on to each other. Yeah. But there's a little team that's screaming out for your money um, where Hearts and Hibs get big. We can... I can I can argue about this with you, and you can argue about it with me until the cows come home. I'm, and... not, I'm not arguing. I, I'm just agree- I'm agreeing with the most part. But what I'm saying is, is that when you start drilling down into some of these questions and some of these arguments, it's not quite yeah. as simple as people think it is. <sighs> it goes back, right. I mean, back to like what I just said. Do you support who your family support? What was if your family support a team that's a thousand miles away? Then you support your local team. Family you use your own brain. A different town. You support your local team, then, don't you? It, Should you? Look, people, I'm going back to the initiative argument here. Now, if it's me, and I, I wanted to see my team live, and if I, if my family supported a team a thousand miles away, and I had no chance, absolutely no chance of getting a ticket to watch that team, and it's a once in a lifetime thing, absolutely no way would I, would I support them? I'd be like, no, I want. That's just me. Everyone's different. But anyway, Bob, we'll, 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 uh, we'll move on. <laughs> From that argument now, um, it was a good debate and I hope I enjoy- our listeners enjoyed it and will give us some feedback and their own thoughts as well. Email us, cathedralofsport at outlook.com. Twitter, we're on Twitter there. We're at cathedral underscore sport. We've also got a Facebook page now, Cathedral of Sport. So we're on there also. If you favourite us on Anchor, you can also send us voice messages. We'll favourite you back. We favourite everyone back. So... You can send us a voice message and we'll, and we'll, we'll talk to you off air. Oh, we, we could record it and, and, and add it onto our an, another show. That'd be good. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. Little little fun facts for, for you, by the way. Little random fun facts just for tonight. I'm just going to throw this into the, into the episode. Did you know that Arsenal have never, ever signed a player from West Ham? It's always been the other way around. Bit of a bit of random guff for you there. But, <laughs> There you go. Guys, we're going to wrap the show up tonight. Bob, thank you so much again for your expertise. But I'm going to, I'm going to end the show a bit, bit solemnly here. Um, now I, I've been, I've been working like mad on this podcast. Since I've become obsessed with it since I've, 
since I helped start it with, with Bob and Gavin and, and David. And I've been trying to get guests on. I'm, I'm constantly, constantly um, messaging people and trying to get links through contacts and stuff like that. Whereas, there's, there's one guy I used to drink with regularly um, when, I, when I went back to South London for, for a year or two um, in, my, in my, my early 20s. And he used to play for Chelsea. He used to play for Brighton, um, quite, quite well known at Brighton. He played for Crew Alexandra as well. And I, I, I tried to, well, I searched for him the other day because uh, I wanted to message him because I had a brain wave. I thought, oh, he'd be a great one. He'd definitely agree. He knows me. I know him well and stuff like that. And we used to drink together. It would be a definite yes. He'd come on the show. And, you know, I looked at his Facebook, couldn't see any recent posts. And then I, I, I saw something come up and I saw something on Google as well for that ChelseaFC.com had shared and, it was it's it was sad to find out that that former Chelsea Brighton and Crew Alexandra defender Dale Jasper died at the age of fifty six this year, um, which was really gutting. Um, he was an absolute gentleman, someone uh, I held in high regard. He had a lot of time for me, even though I was just ran random mouthy youngster in his early twenties, um, just trying to make his way in the world. But he always made time to talk to me about football. So, Dale, rest in peace. And it's it's such a shame that that I had to find out um, that way. Guys, we're going to close the show now. We've got an interview with Andrew Sketchward from a Muay Thai K1 fighter this Thursday night. That should be published by Friday. He won a gold medal for England in the 2017 World Championships in Birmingham. We've also got Andy Scott on next week. He's talking about his, his uncle and his upcoming book, London's Lovable Villain, about the rest of Chick Cocky Night. We've also got some great guests lined up for you coming in September. Got quite a famous boxer, got a chairman of a non-league football club, and we've got one of Edinburgh's most well-known and lovable scribes. So, Bob, thank you so much. You have a good evening, you have a great week, and I will see you next week, bud. Thanks very much. Goodbye, everybody. It's goodbye from the Rev. See you later. Bye-bye. 